Hello, and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast. With me, Rob Daniel, editor of Electric Shadows, and my learned colleague, Mr. Rob Wallace. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Today, we are going to just be doing a podcast about Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. This is going to be something of a therapy session for both of us, because uh, anyone who knows us and is friends with us on Facebook or follows us on Twitter will know that or we... strangers passed us, who's passed, who passed us in the street yes. in recent days. Or anyone who was in earshot when we left the theatre on Wednesday will know that we really didn't get on with this film very much. And with good reason, I think. Yeah, I think it's a pretty... We had a, a visceral reaction to it. Kind of like, kind of like your gag reflex... It was like a gag reflex. It was um, the film is a gag reflex for the eyes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our, our, our bodies rejected the film. It's like you know, it, it was sort of you know coming in and sound and visuals, and our bodies just sort of going, no, 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 no. I wasn't it even. I mean, obviously you intellectualise it later, but it's one of those things that's not completely intellectual. It's also just this physical sense of wrongness. Well, I think it's because the the film is so loud and the bass is so heavy. The one, my ears started bleeding, and two, my rectum prolapsed, so <laughs> that was surprising. And other than that, just the just the numbing nature of this film. Um, it, it is a, a two-and-a-half-hour, joyless, spiriting, tonally uneven slog through what... Warner Brothers clearly hope is just laying the foundation for a, for a Marvel for like a Marvel style you know cinematic universe. Only unlike Marvel, who you know who are always charming and witty and fun, even on their worst days, this is just. It feels like it was calculated by a marketing team who said we need to have this in there, we need to have that in there. Marvel films, maybe throwaway, but they are fun. And this film is a weird film for what is Warner's big hope that is going to establish the Justice League big screen franchise in that it is zero fun. It is miser- It is a bleak, miserable experience watching this film. It is so dour. Everyone in it is incredibly dour. It is replete with images of 9-11 and terrorism. And, it's- and portentous, pseudo-religious dialogue. And just, I mean... Marvel have been doing like bread and butter universe building for about for since 2008 since Iron Man. Yeah. And this film is desperately trying to play catch up with that. And the thing is if you're going to be, you know, in in the parable of the tortoise and the hare, you know, DC's obviously the hare, but at least in the parable you're going to believe the hare is some sort of fun. Yes. You know, he's um, he's, he's he's an arrogant dick, but he's, you know, we thought we could just do a podcast review of Batman versus Superman, but uh, well, my review is is now live on electric-shadows.com. There are many, many hundreds of reviews of this film that are coming out now. Um, we all know that it is, well, I think that the people who like the film say it's a divisive film, it split audiences down the middle. I think that the 30%... Yeah, it split audiences down the middle into those with taste and those without. Yes, indeed. And the fact that... Um, 
you know, Rotten Tomatoes is currently at thirty percent, and I know that aggregators are you know should never be taken as the as the ultimate barometer of the mood of a film. It does seem as if like, you know there are people who don't like this film very much, with good reason, I would say. And the thing is, this is a film which has been basically you know fanboys have essentially been waiting. Well, you know, people are, you know, have been waiting for since the Frank Miller comic, since you know the Dark uh, the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, back in like th- literally thirty years ago, nineteen eighty six. So there's always going to be a contingent of people who, no matter what the quality of the film is, they get they're getting so much out of it just existing that they're never going to dislike it. But then, but then, you know, the thing there is that uh, I love The Dark Knight Returns. That's one of my favourite comics. I love a lot of the you know Warner's animated films. There is a you know a Batman and Superman movie. I think there are a number of Batman and Superman movies, and they're good. They're good because they understand the characters this film doesn't uh, yeah I think there's almost a degree and, and, I, and I even had a sort of bit of a disconnect in the cinema we've almost got Stockholm Syndrome with you know with, with this concept which has you know has been in development hell for so long that you know no matter you you need to believe you've been you've been attached to it you've been chained to its radiator for so long that you need to believe it's good yes that it's right in all of this in all of its choices because if it's not then, I mean, what does that say about, you know, all your hopes and dreams? Well, I think if it's not, then it's like, well, then you've had all this great source material for, you know, for decades. You've had The Dark Knight Returns. You've had such potential, and what you've delivered is essentially a Star Wars prequel. It's, you know, something that um, kind of looks like it's right, but has none of the wit or the flair or the excitement of the films that have come before it that made you love these characters. There's nothing about the story that is compelling, like the Star Wars prequels, it just the, the, churns out scene after scene and and the scenes are in no in no way engaging, they just have to tell the story, we have to get the, the story told, it doesn't matter if anyone cares about what's going on. There aren't, yeah, there aren't even any moments. Mm. There, there, there's There's nothing that you can point to really and say, I quite I like that bit. Or you know, in in the dark in the dark night, there are tons of you know we were sort of riffing on it before you know the the, the pencil scene, uh, you know any individual moment involving Heath Ledger's Joker because it is made it's a performance made up of moments made up of choices, and it feels like the choice that was made in Batman versus Superman is just stick it all in there, cram it all in, make it as miserable as possible. It seems as if all involved are slightly embarrassed almost that they are having to make superhero films, so therefore they are trying to make them as joyless and as portentous, as you say, as they can to try and give it some kind of gravitas when it's like, did you not see what Chris Nolan did with the Dark Knight films? That is as serious as you can get with these films and still have amazing and enjoyable movies. Um, Yeah, I feel the film is so desperately searching for some sort of topicality and relevance it's got this whole geopolitical angle to it where you know there are scenes set in the middle east with uh lois lane approaching terrorists and there are you know uh, superman essentially gets called before congress to explain his extrajudicial interventions around the world and they've got him sat across from a, a legless victim of you know the uh, the events that occurred at the end of man of steel in metropolis who's this guy played by scoot mcnary and it's like superman cannot cannot hold a space with those things. This was a character conceived of as, you know, sort of Perry White makes the throwaway reference to back in 1938. 
Yeah, that's right. It's... You know, he's meant it's meant to be bright and breezy and fun. And as soon as you start taking a really serious look at it, the whole thing just sort of. I know what you mean, but I think that you can still have someone who is good and virtuous, and but in a tough, gritty movie because it's called Captain America: The Winter Soldier. That is a seventies conspiracy thriller with a central character who always behaves in character. He never um, you know, breaks the character the, you know, the way that Zack Snyder seems just intent on smashing what you like about these all these characters that you've known and loved for so many years. Just seemingly out of like a bloody-mindedness. Because he must know that he's going against character with these things. I don't think Zack Snyder... He's he's you know he's been he's claimed on all the posters as this visionary director, but he's a visionary director who's only got two films on his resume that aren't remakes or adaptations. Which are and one of them is uh, was it Legends of the Guardian, which was an animated kids film that came out in about twenty ten. The Owls of Gahul. The, the Owls of Gahul, <laughs> and the other one is Sucker Punch. Yes, that's right. It's a really good point. Neither of those films are visionary, and. The other films that he's made have all been adaptations and... Well, I thought The Watchmen worked. I know that um, it worked well enough. Yeah, I think, I think, <coughs> largely, I think the parts of the film that work are taken almost shot by shot from the comics and the fact that he just has very talented actors. You know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is, a, is, a, is the perfect embodiment of, the, uh, of Alan Moore's comedian as, you know, is uh, Jackie L. Haley with Rush Arkin. Um, Patrick Patrick um, Wilson and yeah but every time he makes a choice within that context like setting the uh, Silk Spectre Night Owl sex scene aboard the uh, the, the, the craft to uh, Hallelujah the song Hallelujah by which, Leonard Cohen, by Leonard Cohen which is laughable and there's a similarly awful um, romantic uh, scene in this in um, Batman vs Superman in which you know has it set in a bathroom with Lois and Clark and it's one of those really annoying things where it's like this is the kind of thing that only happens in movies people don't do this sort of thing in a bathroom outside of movies and I'm making the scene sound much more interesting than it is yeah so I think the one thing that you said like yeah there are no moments in this film and you're right there's no moment really to compare to anything that are in any of the Chris Nolan films but there is one moment in this film where for a, a split a split second or about 25 seconds it gets really good fun and that's when Wonder Woman turns up and her theme kicks in and she's smiling and <laughs> it's weird to see someone smile in this film and it's in the climax and we're not ruining anything actually that was a that's an interesting point so yeah we were lucky enough to go and see this at a preview screening introduced by visionary director Zack Snyder and Henry Cavill. Two amusing things happened. One, when Henry Cavill came on, a girl in the audience shouted, Get your top off! In that voice. And uh, that was funny. And, and he, he declined, didn't he? He responded, uh, uh, something along the lines of, I don't think I will. Yes, I don't think I will. Which is um, more, which was in that brief instant, more charm than he displays in this entire, in this entire film. Yeah, in in two and a half hours of screen time, Henry Cavill is he's got the body of a Greek statue from antiquity, but also the emotional range. He can do 
like superficial, charming, polished in films. Like, you know, I, I, I thought I really enjoyed him in the uh, Man from Uncle film. You know, Napoleon Solo. He can do that. Sort of the, the, I don't, I don't think he's got the psychological complexity to do, you know, modern day Bond, but he can do that sort of charming, breezy, breezy action. But every time he's given like a moment of strong emotion to display, he looks like he's experiencing gastric trouble. He does. And that is the first reference to shit in this podcast. But let me ensure you, it will be by no means the last. It won't be. Um, this. Yeah, so the rest of this review, we we did say we would keep this short. We're on 15 minutes already. But anyway, the other thing that happened in this uh, in the intro from Zack Snyder and Henry Cavill was um, that they both said, look, yeah, hit Twitter, hit Facebook, say what you think of the film by all means, but please, guys, yeah, don't give out any spoilers. And it's like, we can't. Your trailers have already given them all. There is no scene in this film in which a big moment you don't already know the outcome of it because it's all in the trailer. Um, and that includes the Wonder Woman moment. But it was still good when, when she rocked up and just started doing her thing because she looked like the only person having any kind of fun with this film. The, uh, it also probably didn't hurt that her theme is sort of the one halfway decent piece of music in the whole film. Yeah. In that it's essentially just the opening bar of the immigrant song on repeat. Yes. So the, ah! <laughs> I mean, this is a film in which people that... I think have contributed, you know, valuably to cinema. Like, kind of, I'm not going to kind of disgrace themselves. I mean, like Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL do the score, and they previously they've collaborated on things before. And Hans Zimmer is, the, you know, the guy who did the whole, you know, all three Christopher Nolan Batman films, I, yeah. I believe, as well as Man of Steel, which I, you know, which I'm, I'm one of the few defenders of. And the score here is so overblown and operatic, so, again, lacking in any subtlety or shading. Well, it's so bombastic. The whole film is bombastic. You kind of get the impression that Zack Snyder's notes to Hans Zimmer were more bombast. But anyway, so we thought we could do a review, as we're doing right now, a typical kind of, like, yeah, review. But to be honest, we've already sat through 151 minutes of Batman vs Superman. As I said, my review is up, up online. We are probably going to be sitting through it again at the IMAX on Wednesday because we bought our tickets before we got the preview screening. Um, I'm taking a book with me. That, let, let that be a, a damning judgment on this film. I'm going to see, I'm going, you know, I'm spending £20 to go to the IMAX, having, you know, had the tickets, having, you know, a friend of ours having bought the tickets in advance in full expectation that this is a film we'd want to see again. I'm taking a book with me. I was thinking that I would just listen to a podcast, but I will not be able to hear that podcast over the sound in the IMAX because it will sound like a jet plane landing on my head every other second. How are you going to read your book? Diligently. <laughs> but it will be so dark. The film is so is so moodily lit that uh, you won't be able it to... Is, unless it, you, you have um, Superman eyes that can see in the dark. It is an ugly film. It's, you know... All, all the daylight scenes are oversaturated. All the nighttime scenes are just muggy. And the whole thing has this sort of graininess to it. I mean, at least Man of Steel had some beauty to it. Well, it had like a sheen to it um, in certain scenes. Yeah, this does, I say in my review, this looks like Zero Dark Thirty was the visual template and the fun template that they took for this film. But anyway, so to move on to the uh, the main chunk of this of this podcast 
we have broken our review down into certain pithy one-liners that we think just yeah, sum up how much we think of, of Batman versus Superman and how disappointed we were with it. I, I may admittedly make some of them less pithy <laughs> by either... Yeah, by, by we, might, we may build on them. We may interject between the one-liners to so continue the discussion. If Rob gets on a full rant mode, I will... Well, if it's, if he's on good rant mode, then I might just let him run with it. Um, but if I get on full rant mode, he'll slap me down in a more compelling way than <laughs> Batman v Superman. Yes, yeah, well, kind of a, a less bleak and dispiriting way, anyway. So, we've broken it up into certain sections. The first one is called Watching Batman vs Superman is Like... So, for example, watching Batman versus Superman is like having sex and then realizing it's your mum. Watching Batman versus Superman is like watching The Dark Knight if Michael Bay had got the gig. Watching Batman versus Superman is like Man of Steel with all the fun and optimism taken out. Watching Batman versus Superman is like a Groundhog Day where buildings won't stop toppling, but no one learns anything. Watching. Batman versus Superman is like the cinematic equivalent of a Vuvuzela. Batman versus Superman is like attending a disco, realizing it's a silent disco, you have no headphones, and they won't let you leave. See, the reason I like that one that you came up with, Rob, is because there is such a dramatic irony to that that isn't in Batman versus Superman, because of course, Batman versus Superman is probably the loudest film you'll ever see. It is. That was quite nice. There, there, there is a, <laughs> there are, again, there is a roar to it. There is the. I think I was trying to think of what the what the quietest sort of most underplayed moment might be, and there's a sequence where uh, Henry Cavill encounters or uh, uh, Superman encounters uh, his dad, uh, Jonathan Ken, as played by Kevin Costner on a mountaintop. So Kevin Costner can relate some anecdote that relates tenuously to the situation. It's again, it's a scene that should have been ended up on the cutting room floor, and. We won't spoil it here, but the story that Kevin Costner tells Clark at that point, it's a horrible story. It just has a horrible ending. It sounds like kind of... It's set up to be this amazing um, example of like, yeah, if you stick with something, if you try, then like, yeah, good will prevail. But then it has a postscript that says, but actually everything just turned out to be shit in the end. So there you go. So don't try. That's the thing. Yeah, superhero films, that's what we want our superheroes to advocate. Don't try, because it'll only make matters worse. (laughs) So watching Batman vs. Superman is like living in a universe where every woman is called Martha or Lois. Uh, watching Batman vs. Superman is like taking caustic acid to your eyes. Watching Batman vs. Superman is like having a prostate examination and the attending physician is Edward Scissorhands. I think... Um, are, there, <laughs> are, are there any more? Oh, yeah. Um, Go on. Uh, no, I think, <laughs> I think, I think we, will, uh, I will come, we can come back to those later and we can cut this bit out. So, hyperbolic, Batman versus Superman is a club, and your eyes are baby seals. Batman versus Superman is so soulless, you risk losing yours when watching it. I lost my wife, my house, I was mistaken for a pedo, and my children now call another man dad. But that still wasn't as bad as watching Batman versus Superman. On the topic of pedos... Right. There's Which, um first time we've mentioned pedos in the <laughs> podcast, but that's fine. Let's run with it. Uh, there's um the implication in uh, uh in Batman vs Superman. Batman has started branding criminals. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he's you know they, he brands them with his with his bat symbol, 
and we're led to believe that this is some sort of death sentence in jail, you know, the, the gangs will go after you. Instead of a badge of pride? Yeah, because you're thinking, that makes no sense. Yeah, there is, you're right, there's a moment when they say it's a death sentence if you've got the Bat brand. But Batman is just branding every criminal that he comes across. And surely when you get into the big house, other prisoners would would then look at you and say, so you went up against the Batman and you survived? Wow. And there would be yeah, fist bumps all around and things like that. He's maybe. not only branding you know, nonces. And- yeah, I would say, but though maybe he has a nonce brand. It's <laughs> like it's like the uh, the Ambergram in, uh, in, what was it, in Angels vs. Demons. You know, it's one of those, it's incredibly well designed so it reads the same thing upside down. Right. Okay. So when you're dunking their head in the toilet, it still says nonce. <laughs> yes, I think that's, that's probably what's going to have in the first Justice League. There'll be a, a subplot about how Batman has got like yeah, different brands for different categories of criminal and, and there'll be a nonce brand because that's just how much fun Warners and everyone seem to, and DC seem to want to have with this franchise. So Batman vs Superman is like seeing the Phantom Menace for the first time forever and ever and ever. Batman vs Superman is the 9-11 of superhero movies. It certainly is. To contextualise that, Man, uh, Man of Steel ends with the equivalent of 9-11 to a superhero film. Batman versus Batman v Superman is the cinematic equivalent of 9-11. It is the cinematic equivalent of 9-11. And it wants to be. It wants to, I mean, it's, it sets itself up to be such a, a 9-11 evoking movie that you're like, well, then we're going to call, call you up on oh, that, that. Because uh, uh, at the end of the day, guys, you should be entertaining. Um, I knew there was a reason I wasn't enjoying myself. Like it's yeah, it's 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 intentional. It is it's, it's, intentional. It's, it's, it's like, the horrible part of it. Well, the whole point. I mean, you know, Avengers: Age of Ultron was not the best film in the world, but I did like the pointed way that they, at the end of that film, saved people, and they saved people, and there was like a real sense of hope and optimism. You know, no matter how you know, bleak things get. You, yeah, your heroes will come and save you. That, of course, is wish fulfillment and idealism. But isn't that the whole freaking point of these films? It's like if you're going to make a film in which your superheroes are just subsumed by terrorism and overwhelmed by just the bleakness of the world and like um, and death and destruction and realising that no good can come of anything that they try to do then why make the friggin film in the first place in, in, in Superman Returns they redact the uh, the ending to the things that Superman stands for you know truth justice in the American way I think they've got Perry White truth justice and all that stuff in this he doesn't even stand for truth and justice no He's a, no um, and Batman doesn't either Batman certainly does not stand for justice in this film he stands for Vengeance. He is the Punisher. He uh, Batman kills people in this film, and yes, there have been Batman films before where he has killed people, like Batman Returns. There's the bit with the clown when he throws him into the drain with the bomb, but that's like kind of it was it was a different register, it's and more, also it, it, it was a different time. It's like you know, and we've since had three excellent Batman films that have like you know, made the whole point about you know you have to be better than this you can't be killing people and now we seem to be in a really you know, retrograde time with Zack Snyder saying you know, Batman's going to kill as many people as he wants and, he's gonna do it, and he'll do it smiling Bat- whenever Batman's killed somebody in the past it's always been a case of hoist hoist by their own petard it's always been an ironic punishment you know in, in, 
in the original Batman, the Joker only dies because you know oh, because he gets his leg you know tied to that gargoyle yes. because he's trying to make his escape. And and the guy you know the guy in Batman Returns brought his own bomb. Yes, that's right. Yes, there, it's kind of, uh... there's no irony in this. There's no sort of it's just expedient. It's Batman with miniguns attached to the Batmobile mowing through enemy cars because it's the quickest point from A to B. Yeah, and the Batpod had had guns mounted on on the front of it. Um, but he used it to clear cars out of the way and to uh, to shoot through glass. And you're thinking, yeah, that's something. Yeah, there is. It is similar, but there is a difference there. And it's like, yeah, and it might just be nuance, but you know, one works and the other one. I mean, I looked at you, and you just, you know, were shaking your head at that point. And it's like, yeah, this has gone from a two star film to a one star film because again, like you did with Superman, you're killing his first enemy with his bare hands in Man of Steel. You've just ruined this one as well, really. So it's kind of, or you've ruined the character. Yeah, yeah. You've severely compromised what the character stands for. It's a film that makes the characters involved in them in it worse. Yeah, it does. But anyway, I know that everyone out there is is just dying to listen to more of, of these bon mots of these bon mots. So um, performance and direction. So Zack Snyder's not to blame. It was like giving a child keys to a car and saying it's fine. Drive as fast as you want. Ben Affleck is fine but continues his reverse Midas touch with superhero franchises. Bless his heart. He just can't seem to get a break on these. Jesse Eisenberg unwisely tries to resurrect Heath Ledger. Shall we... Can can we digress on that one? We can digress on that one, definitely, because there is a lot to to chew over with Jesse Eisenberg's career-compromising performance in this film. It's a performance, yeah, which, which channels Heath Ledger's Joker in terms of the sort of energy and unpredictability but it also lacks anything resembling charisma Mm. and it's such a broad eccentric like you know full of tics and mannerisms in place of character and it's all just tics and mannerisms and you'd think you know at least following the social network in you know that Jesse Eisenberg, you know, could convincingly portray a genius, somebody who's on a le- an intellectual level above everyone around him. Yeah, but in this film, he just he just seems like a kook. Yeah, it's um, and also his his grand plan, which again is all in the trailer. But well, we're not going to spoil it here, pretty much because we just can't be bothered to go through it all again because it's just so ridiculous and convoluted just isn't very good i mean it's kind of the grand plan in superman and superman returns was you know pretty much the same just like you know let's cause some mass destruction to uh to to boost um you know, real estate which it doesn't sound very interesting but it's a macguffin almost but here it's like it seems to be a really important plot point because they spend so much time investigating it with but some it's just like ideological heft placed behind it because he's always ruminating on god and the devil and yes indeed he really is Every, everyone's ruminating on god and the devil in this film it's like oh just just all go to um, a theology college and uh, get it done with yeah and just have it done with it's um it's like yeah, when the subtext becomes text, that's when things stop being interesting, really. Also, just to, just to end it on uh, on Lex Luthor, when Jesse Eisenberg gets angry in this film, like intensely, like rage, he looks a disconcerting amount like Chris Barry in Red Dwarf, he... like when Rimmer's having a meltdown, like straight down to like snot, like you know, right down to the snot on his lip. Yes, there is a moment towards the end when he has a big meltdown, and uh, yes, it is like it's Rimmer. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, how very odd. So Jeremy Irons, 
Jeremy Irons acts like he's quietly judging you for turning up to watch this film. Yeah, there is a, a dis- there is again a dispiriting contempt in his performance. And Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot is the acting equivalent of sunbeams breaking through thick clouds. Clouds made of shit. <laughs> so, scatology. When we walked out of this film, shit was a word, unfortunately, that we were saying quite a lot. Because it's it's a film that is so broad and flaccid. <laughs> and, yeah, it's amazing that we didn't sort of, like, kind of have more sexual references with the film, but it was just shit. I think when you have a film that is ultimately quite base in its worldview, it takes you to a very base place in, in your thinking. Because you can't engage with it on any other level. No. So, um... So we amused ourselves by coming up with different ways that we could use the word shit to describe this film. So, um, shit-flavoured chewing gum for the eyes. Discovering blood in your shit, or shit in your blood. Is like watching Batman vs Superman. This is Warner Brothers' 151-minute bowel movement that they're proudly showing off to the world. Or, more cynically, a flaming bag of shit on the doorstep of cinema. For a minute I thought that Robin was in this movie... And then I realised it was a piece of corn in a pile of shit. Watching Batman vs Superman is like attending the opening of an art exhibition and thoroughly enjoying the chocolate fountain, only to discover that it's a modern art exhibition and this is in fact a blocked toilet mounted on a plinth. <laughs> Zack Snyder is going to be releasing an R-rated cut of this film. The body and mind tremble at the idea of that. But presumably the R in R-rated here stands for rectal, rectum... Rectal discharge. Variations on the theme. Variations on a theme. Uh, Watching Batman vs Superman is like that scene in The Shining with the blood coming out of the lift, but it's shit. (laughs) BVS is close to IBS. So this is IBS, the death of hope. There is one bathroom scene in this film. The rest are toilet scenes. But the big question, how could Batman vs Superman be improved? Batman vs Superman could be improved by taking Sony's lead with Spider-Man and letting Marvel have a go at it. By not having Batman fucking kill anyone. By not having Superman utter lines like, no one stays good in this world. By not wasting Jimmy Olsen in every conceivable way. He's in there. (laughs) He is in there. He is in there. By not getting off on so much 9-11 imagery porn. By easing off on the orgasmic shots of firing guns and spent shell casings tumbling to the floor in loving slow motion. By giving Gal Gadot just that bit more screen time and maybe not implanting four viral videos intended to set up the Justice League right in the dramatic heart of the film. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, worth spending just a minute on. Yeah, so Gal Gadot is the, really is the best thing in this film and she is given... The thankless task of having to watch teaser trailers for Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash, just as the climax is arriving, and it's like this is just this is like watching someone open an email. Well, this is literally like watching someone open an email and watch a teaser trailer. What is going on in this movie? Um, uh, we haven't even talked about the bloody dream sequences. No, so we'll get to those in... Well, actually, yeah, let's get to those now. So um, uh, Batman vs Superman could be improved by having dream sequences that make even a modicum of sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, visionary sequence 
uh, sorry, visionary director Zack Snyder. He seems to think that term means that you have to have visions in your film. Batman has visions. Batman has visions of a post-apocalyptic future where Superman set himself up as some sort of fascistic dictator. Batman has what could ambiguously be a vision or could be real life in which a character that, you know, is not quite clearly, but I think is the Flash, as played by Ezra Miller, come through from the future and essentially say, don't let Lois die because Superman's going to lose his shit. Now, that sounds all like spoilers, but the thing is, that's not spoilers. It's actually, it helps you to know that before going into the film because emerging from that film, I had, I just did not get the fact that that was the Flash that had come back. And that whole dream sequence, yes, it's a dream sequence and you kind of ultimately realise that. Yes, you, well, I got the kind of, um, you know, Lois is is going to be in danger and yeah, something bad's going to happen. Yeah, Superman's going to go bad, blah, blah, blah. But the way that's just plonked into that film and the way that it makes no sense whatsoever, I just thought... And it's never referenced again. And it's never referenced again. It doesn't come back at the climax. It's presumably for some... Some film down the line. Um, I just thought he has he hasn't got a plot to start with, but but Zack Snyder has lost any vestige of plot that he had. Yeah, the other person that we went with, I just looked to him, and he was and he yeah said afterwards that was the closest that he got to getting up and just walking out. To which I said, well, I would have yeah, I, grabbed your arm and said, no one leaves, no one leaves. We're all gonna have to get through this together. I'm 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 also worried that that you know the the Flash coming from the future wasn't meant to set up a future Justice League film. That it was meant to imply that you know when Lois is put in peril at the end of this film to give that some stake. So it's like, oh no, if she dies, Superman's going to go off the deep end. So has that all? Is that already part of some? abortive timeline that just doesn't exist and that we had no idea might exist because the film didn't adequately explain it. Yeah. These are these are none of the things that we had to talk about at the end of a Chris Nolan Batman film. It was... Uh, we didn't have to give the, the director the benefit of the doubt. But Batman vs Superman could be improved by taking that space-time rip and just going back and everyone like yeah, doing it all over again That'd making different decisions making different decisions it's like isn't that the whole point of if you're going to give someone an element or the option to um, travel through time isn't it just to go back and right wrongs um, Batman versus Superman could be improved by shoving some owls in it yes it really could more owls Zach more owls um, so Batman versus Superman could be improved by Instead of releasing an R-rated edition of this bleak and dispiriting film, releasing a PG-rated edition with some newly shot scenes that are just a bit more fun and optimistic. Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice could be improved by telling us who Dawn actually is. Yes, we never find out who Dawn is in this film, and I want to know who Dawn of Justice, if that is her real name, who she is. And Batman vs Superman could be improved by pretending that this has never happened and doing it all over again. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna add one. Batman versus Superman could be improved by bringing an exorcist into the equation and banishing it back to development hell. And Warner Brothers released the Exorcist. They own that franchise, so therefore they could. And Max von Sydow is still alive, so he could come in and exorcise this entire film. Warner's that is a a versus that I would watch if it's father. If it's Father, Father Karen, Mer- oh, if our Merin, friend. sorry, yes, yes. Um, if it's Father Merin versus Batman versus Superman, I will watch that film. <laughs> uh, but as uh, as I've said already, I am going to be watching Batman versus Superman again at the IMAX because I am a glutton for punishment. So um, there is a part of me that thinks, what 
what if I was wrong? What if I walk out of that IMAX experience going, it's actually a, it's actually a bold, savage masterpiece? Um, but wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd have to rewrite my review. Uh, but you'd feel, but you'd feel, but you'd have a, you'd have something to say in your next review. You'd get to say, I completely misjudged it. I mean, wouldn't, how how nice would it be if you revisited, got to revisit films that you really hated and have them turned into films that you really loved? Well, the one time that that's really happened before, and it wasn't a film that I hated, but it was a film that left me utterly bemused, completely, completely cold and indifferent. But now I think is one of the great films was Vertigo, the Alfred Hitchcock film. So. If Batman vs Superman turns out to be Vertigo, then hooray! You know, happy days all all round. Ver- Vertigo was actually, uh, strange enough, one of the few negative sensations it didn't give me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but do we think that's going to happen, Rob? Do we think we're going to go and see it at the IMAX and I... have an amazing experience and walk out going, um, actually, it's fine that Batman kills I... people? I don't know if anybody's ever watched a Zack Snyder film and said, you know what, it really rewards you on a second viewing. <laughs> you miss all those details. I mean, that's the thing, it's just flat. It is so affectless that it's already like tissue paper. <laughs> Use tissue, tissue paper. paper. After a particularly heavy bout of diarrhea, just to continue the... Um, the, 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 the yeah, it's more shit now than tissue paper. Um, but, um, no, you're right. No one's walked out of a Zack Snyder film on a second view and said, wow, I, I now need to completely revise my opinion of that. Um, to, just, to just throw in a few more... Ba- Batman first appears, sort of crouched... Not crouched, but sort of whatever the... Whatever, whatever crouching is when you do it in the upper corner of a room. Well, he's kind of hanging. It's sort of like um, his arms are like extended. Braced. In the, he's braced in the corner of this room, like literally like like a bat hanging from the ceiling. Which didn't work for you, did it? No, I kept on expecting there's a policeman in there to just get a broom and start going, shoot, shoot, get down from there. <laughs> that would have been surprising if that had happened. Um, and, and, and fun. And, and fun, but uh, it didn't. Nothing fun happened There's, in this. It, the film undermines almost 80 years of suspension of disbelief. There's a scene, you know, the, the Batcave is now situated apparently under, under the middle of a lake. Mm. And in order to enter the Batcave, you've got to open a ramp which lets water flood in and then leap your car over the divide from the edge of the lake. Firstly, if you fuck that up, that's going to be the world's most awkward call to AA. Yes. And secondly, how has no one noticed this? It does seem a bit of a show-off way to enter it's, the Batcave, doesn't it? It's a film like you know, for for se- for seven, for almost eighty years, people have been buying into the idea, however incredulously, that people might might not know that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and people might not know that Clark Kent is Superman, and this film undermines that. This film does more damage to the legacy of those characters than Joel Schumacher did with bloody nipples on the bat suit. As I've said many times, we now live in a world where Batman and Robin is the second worst Batman film. Because I would take the tacky camp of Batman and Robin over the nihilistic, grim, bleak, miserable, dispiriting, ultra-violent, absolutely joyless experience that is this Batman film. It, 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 it does, you know, in all fairness, manage to be a study of contrasts. It's both choppy and clunky, weightless and leaden... It is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's it's all in there and so little of it is good. It is fast-paced in terms of scenes and shots don't seem to last for more than a few seconds, but it is interminable. 
Yeah, exactly. If you're not enjoying this part, this exact moment, don't worry, there'll be another new moment you won't enjoy. There was a lot of moments in there, but... And there's so much plot. It's one of those films where you realise that the first yeah, cut of the film probably came in at about six hours, and they said, right, we need to get this down to two, two and a half hours. And yet they decided to retain the Batman origin story. Yes. So we again see how Batman became Batman. It's over the opening credits, but it's like, really, guys, are we going to have this one again? Because... Come on. <laughs> we all know how this works. We all know how Batman became Batman. Why not give um, Wonder Woman like a bit of a... Well, yeah, hopefully they'll save that for the Wonder Woman film. But it's, uh, it's, Oh, look, it's Toma, Thomas and Martha Wayne. Remember her name. It's important. Also, the thing here is that Thomas Wayne in this version seems to make a lunge for Joe Chill, the mugger who shoots Thomas and Martha Wayne, that you could argue is like him bringing his death on himself. In Batman Begins, Linus Roach um, tries, tries to calm to, him. He does. He's sort of like, yeah, kind of, he is the one who's kind of saying, everything's fine, just take the money and go. But in this one, he's sort of like, kind of, he seems to try to step up to this guy with a gun, which I would say is a stupid thing to do. And also, but, doesn't that also put yourself in more danger? But can you imagine Jeffrey Dean Morgan trying to calm someone? <laughs> yeah, indeed. That would be, be like utterly terrifying. <laughs> Everything is going to be fine. After I tear your fucking head off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... Aggressively stupid. Aggressively stupid. This film is aggressively stupid. That's a pretty good poster quote for this film. Aggressively stupid. Any other poster quotes you want to say before we wrap it up? Um, (laughs) There's... Gal Gadot is great. No, Gal Gadot is is very good. No, I think it's like a kid banging together the toys of, you know, the characters in a sandbox... Only the sandbox cost $250 million and nobody's going to get to play with those toys till the kid is done with them. At which point they're going to be more than slightly soiled. And completely broken. It pains me to say that there is a new Batman film coming out and you should, you should actively run in the opposite direction. Yeah, I think that in the end is all you can really say about it. <laughs> it's all you can say about it. Bring on Captain America Civil War. Oh, bring on, bring on Lego Batman. Bring on Lego... Yes, indeed, that's a, the thing. Is- a truer rendition of the character. It will be. We, You know that Lego Batman... And that comes out next year, doesn't it? Yes, that's yeah. A, that's a 2017 release. You know that Lego Batman is going to be a truer, purer, more faithful interpretation of, of the Batman icon than Batman versus Superman. Oh, but please tell me they at least managed to get one expect one joke in there at the expense of. Well, you you know, you know it's going to make a ton of money, and they will say, "Yeah, look, we've got a sense of humour about this." You can just see Warner saying, "We've got a sense of humour about this, guys." It's just not in any of the Zack Snyder films. We'll just put it into our Lego movies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there you are. That was our review of Batman versus Superman. You know, I'll say, yeah, it's it's longer than longer than we intended, but I'll say I'll say one thing in defence of it. I feel like it had more content. It had more content. It had a bit more... Well, I'd like to think it had a bit more wit. A bit more heart. A lot more shit. Well, no. no. (laughs) uh, uh, Simultaneously, a lot more shit and a lot less shit. But then again, that's that's up to you to decide. Yes, indeed. I mean, like, yeah, you could just say that we were talking shit the whole way through. But uh, in which case, we would have become what we were criticising. On that note, until the next podcast, same bat time, same bat channel. See you later. See you later. I'm getting slow in my old age, Alfred. 
Even you got too old to die young, not for lack of trying.